as Brewer fans, do we actually expect the Milwaukee Brewers to go out there and buy? No. no. I, well, I, you know what? I shouldn't say that. We know what David Stern's... Uh, Matt Arnold? We know what David Stern's would do, right? Yeah. And, and Matt Arnold comes from the David Stern's tree. Correct. So, but like, we don't know exactly how he's going to handle this. It's truly, truly, truly his first, his first opportunity. Right? So how does he handle it? But how does, how does but he approach? He it? does have David Stearns there as a consultant, and he's his buddy. I mean, we know we're we, yeah. I mean, yeah. Is David Stearns? Do you think David Stearns is doing anything? No, I think I, mean, I he's, think he's I, chilling on his couch saying, "Don't call, don't text. I'm taking this year off and being paid handsomely." I think he yes, I, he's getting prepped for uh, his his next gig coming up as soon as this season in New is York. Over. Yes. Right, like that—that's what we know. He's getting—he's getting ready for. Can Matt Arnold call him and probably talk to him? Sure, but this is—it's—it's it's his job. Do you think that the Milwaukee Brewers can really go out there and grab a guy that will change this offense? I don't think they—I don't think they can find it. No, what you would be doing is going out in and getting a guy that you could add to an offense that you're hopeful that the guys we've already talked about are. Like going you to get back into it, whether it's Willie Adamas, whether it's Rowdy Tellez, whether it's Christian Yelich continuing to play his, the level he has, and whether he, the rookies, specifically Joey Weimer, are going to get progressively better as the season and the more at-bats they get. They need at-bats, right? And they're getting those at-bats, and can they grow? That's I don't what, think it's what real, you're hoping for. I don't think it's realistic for the Brewers right now to say, hey, we're going to go out and get a big-time bat that maybe it's only controllable for the rest of the season or a year. No, that's not realistic because it's a team that in the next year or two is going to be really young and going to want prospects. So you're really not going right. to trade much away. And two, I don't think that the Brewers would actually be willing to go out there and get a big bat that could really carry them because it would be expensive to pay in the future. <laughs> and now also, I think it would be extremely hard for them to find somebody that is that good offensively that fits their price. Unless for, you know, you can't rule it out that someone would randomly get that hot. Like Tyler O'Neill was a guy, former Cardinal outfielder that was linked to him. Tyler O'Neill was it back in 2021 where he hit like 30 bombs and he hit, you know, had a damn good season. He's. Tyler O'Neill can potentially be a five-tool player. Like, huge arm in the outfield, speed, uh, might struggle to be a five-tool player due to batting average. But he's a great player, and now he's been hurt. He's had, uh, you know, butting head-to-head with uh, the manager, Ali Marmol. Like, there's been issues like that, but are you willing to bet on a guy that's been hurt the last two years and and it's in division? You don't even know if that would ever be traded for. And that would him having to be hot. I'm talking about going and actually getting a a bat where that bat, you know, will come in and be great. Like last year, Juan Soto, like that was a guy that was rumored to be with, you know, multiple teams. You're not going to go get that. This offense already stinks. So I'm with you. I think you just hope that Telez can come out of it. You, or maybe a Keston here, can pick you up. Willie Adamas picks it up that some of these younger guys pick it up. And maybe you make that small little move where you might go get like the Jerry Harrison juniors of the world that are kind of just hot, but, but they come in right away and they're kind of cheap. And then I think you honestly maybe go out and get a couple of cheap bullpen arms that are, you know, like you're just for a, 
for like a example of a type of player, like a couple of box burgers from a couple of years ago, because they're cheap and you're not scoring runs. So if you can't score runs, but you can't add a ton of offense, add to the pitching so that you can, in theory, hold them to less runs. And it's cheap. And we know the Brewers are cheap. Yes, I would agree. Uh, the, the thing about Milwaukee is you're also going to be getting back, you would hope here, at some point, Brandon Woodruff. And you add that back into what is, as I said before, I think the best, easily the best rotation in the Central. When healthy. When, he- when healthy. <laughs> and it's going to keep you in this in this thing. They're in a they're in a in a problem right now because their pitching staff is made. In my opinion, their pitching staff is ready to win, and their offense is not. Correct. I would I would I would say the same thing, especially because you were hoping for a bounce back season from Joey Winker or sorry Jesse Winker. Jesse Winker tore the cover off the baseball in the Central. Jesse Winker hit the hell out of the baseball in the opposing NL Central stadiums, and especially in Miller Park at the time, American Family Field. You haven't gotten that. We've already mentioned Adamas and Telez having god-awful seasons. We already mentioned how all the young guys have shown some flashes, but you can't consistently rely on them for much when it comes to hitting. Tyrone Taylor... Luis Arias, guys that you were hoping maybe take the next step, haven't taken the next step. It, it, it's a lot of negatives here. There wasn't a whole lot of positives. Like your positives are, looks like we finally got a catcher locked up for the next four or five years, and Christian Yelich is back to being a fringe all-star exactly where they at least need him to be. Everything else has been kind of bad, but that's why it's crazy because there's still only a game out of first place. Yeah, because the Central sucks. And... I was thinking that by mid-July, the Reds might start fading. I watched some Red game, Reds games over the uh, the weekend. That starting pitching is only going to get healthier because they have a couple guys that are young arms that are out. Probably get them back in the second half. If that bullpen can stay middle of the road like it's been, man, some of those kids are pretty scary, and they're pretty freaking good. I, I can't wait. I mean, I, this... Series coming up here and at the right before the All Star break could be significant. I think, especially for Milwaukee, if they're able to take that series two or three or somehow sweep it, or if they lose the series and fall, you know, several games back right before the All Star break, I think that could have a huge impact on what they do in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and and you mentioned because obviously they have the Chicago Cubs here, two more games, and then they have the Cincinnati Reds, and then we go to the All Star break, but then. Like you said, three right away with Cincinnati again. Yeah. That's six games against Cincinnati in that, well, technically would be a six-game span before and after the All-Star break. Honestly, we might decide. know by, by Tuesday, July 18th, when they come back and play at Philadelphia, we might know if the Brewers are going to be buyers or sellers yeah. or slight buyers and or big-time sellers. Yeah. yeah. But I actually, I was I was driving listening to the to the radio to the Brewers on Sunday when they were playing in Pittsburgh in the rubber match. And I, I think I had a realization uh, about what I think the Brewers should do. Not what they actually do, but what they should do if I was them. Because it would be one of the two. But uh, we, are, we are pretty late. For- so we were talking a little bit about the Milwaukee Brewers buying or selling or, you know, what are they going to do? And Zach brought up a good point where he's like, well, 
They're playing the Cubs here for two more games, and then you have your series with the Reds. That takes you up to the All-Star break. And then we mentioned how right after the All-Star break, they have three games in Cincinnati, and maybe that'll be the the mark where it's like, well, if you really kind of got beaten both series by Cincinnati, you might be starting to fall behind in the Central. Maybe that's the date, July 18th, that we will know if the Brewers are buyers or sellers. But if you dig a little bit deeper into the schedule, Starting July 18th, they're at Philadelphia, who's in contention for the wild card spot. Roughly the same record as the Milwaukee Brewers. Three in Philly. Then you have three at home against the Braves, who are uh, going back and forth right now with Tampa Bay for one of the better records in baseball. You then come home, or you stay home for three games against Cincinnati again. And then you go to Atlanta for three games. And then the last day of July and the first day of August, which would be the last couple days of the deadline, you're at Washington. And obviously we know Washington's is no good. But you play two more with the Cubs. You play a total of nine more with the Reds, three with the Phillies, and six with the Braves. Every single one of those teams, eh, we'll, throw the, we'll throw the Cubs in here. They're a middling team. But all the rest of them, are winning teams. You said it off air. I kind of agree with you. We we know what the Brewers do. We saw what they did last year with a four-game lead. They might be four games behind by the deadline. I think they sell. And, and I think this schedule is going to show that they probably will sell. The nine games is obviously is huge. It, it, it will decide. I think it, it will decide the Central. Those nine games will decide the Central. The Central will crown a champion, according to Zach Heilprin. No, no, I th- it decides it because I think on July twenty sixth. I decide. I think it decides it because I think the Brewers are going to be behind after those those nine games, and I think they're going to sell. But if you're if you're someone saying I think the Brewers should buy, I think you could make the argument where you're like, well, Milwaukee has actually played the least amount of division games of the division teams, and this is a crappy division. Maybe there's more wins out there to go get. But for the All-Star break and the pre-deadline, I don't think you could have you know, scripted a tougher schedule than two more with Chicago, nine more with Cincinnati, the team that you are basically going back and forth with for first place, three at Philadelphia, and six with Atlanta. That's where you were going to hope where you played more division teams, not Cincinnati, and the Washingtons. And your, you know, insert bottom feeders here. Not some of the best teams, right? When you actually have to make a decision. Is it possible that St. Louis is really this bad? <laughs> I think it is because. Uh, so we were asking our gambler to stars, Dave Essler. Man, I think it was back in mid-May. When can we write off the Cardinals? And my opinion was, I don't think we can ever write the Cardinals off until we see them sell in mid-July or you know whatever, because. How many times have you seen it in your life where the Cardinals feel like they're dead and then they come back and not only do they make the playoffs, but they like win the Central? And it's still the exact same team that won the Central last year. Now, the pitching staff has been much worse, but on paper, it's still close to the same team. And it's not, uh, I was about to say, it's not like they're really that far back, but they are. They are back. They're 11 and a half back. They're back. I was was thinking maybe they're like seven, something like that, but no, they are uh, 11 and a half back. Well, Our guy Dave Essler said, I think you can write him off right now. 
And that was like in mid-May. And I'm like, no that's, way. That's, that's bold. That was that's bold. no way. That was bold. Well, uh, we're getting pretty close to writing off the Cardinals. I think you could probably write the Cardinals off 100%. Unless they got red hot in the next two weeks. And by red hot, you know, if they played 14 games the next two weeks, winning like 12 of them, I don't see it happening. I don't... They're already talking about moving Goldie, moving Paul Goldschmidt, moving Nolan Arenado. Like, that's some serious talk. Like, the Brewers don't even talk like that when they're talking about selling. Because I told you I I was thinking while I had the opportunity to drive around and and listen to 1670 AM, 96.7 FM, The Zone, while uh, I was watching or listening to the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Milwaukee Brewers on Sunday, and I'm sitting here, and I, what we saw in 2023 with them selling Josh Hader, I don't want to be a middling team. Like, I get it's all fine and dandy when you start to climb that mountain because the Brewers were terrible. Like, the 90s Brewers, the early 2000 Brewers, they sucked. Like, growing up, my favorite players of the Milwaukee Brewers were Jeff Jenkins and Scott Pasednik. Jeff Jenkins was a one-time All-Star. Oh, he easily probably, in today's day and age where every team's got to have one, probably could have been a two, three, four-timer. That was still the case back then. He easily could have been a two, three, four-timer or should have been. Scott Pesednik had like two flash-in-the-year, you know, flash seasons. There wasn't a ton of good players. What, Jeremy Burnett's in the late 90s, early 2000s? Richie Sexton? Were, were they that good, though? Like, they're decent. They're they're decent players. They're not great. Like, that was the crappy teams that we watched. So I get it. The Brewers in the 90s and the early 2000s before, like, the fielders, weeks, bronze, it was tough. But I'm sitting here saying we finally, as an organization and as a team, in my opinion, we've reached the point of we have the the pillars in place as an organization where we know how to get people in the stands. We know how to do you know, some of the stuff on the farm where we know we can, uh, I guess, more recently develop pitching, or with Doug Melvin, it was more develop hitting. We, we kind of have those pillars. We are now a team that, even though we're small market, we can put uh, seats, we can fill up the seats, and we can start to kind of be competitive. But I feel like, we had that blip in the radar in 2018 where it's like they, everyone caught fire, right? Like Yelich had an MVP season. Lorenzo Cain was amazing. Jalis Chassin uh, was great out of nowhere. Like he would always, at best, he was like a fourth starter. Jesus Aguilar. Jesus Aguilar, all-star. Like everything came together. Brandon Woodruff. Jeremy Jeffress. You can go right on down the line. Josh Hader. And they were one game away from the World Series. We can talk about certain games in uh, that NLCS that I would like back or would like to do differently, but I, I digress. It almost felt like they took it for granted that that type of team would continue to get better and better and better. Now, unfortunately, 2020 really felt like it threw a wrench into things, but every team could use that excuse for everybody. Exactly. It wasn't just baseball. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like every team, every person could use that excuse it cost Wisconsin a national championship in basketball, in basketball according to the simulations. Uh, and I, no one can tell me different. They're playing some great basketball. Well, you didn't see it happen. 
you can't tell me. I mean, look, you can't tell me it didn't happen. Can't tell me it w- wouldn't have happened. So 2020 stole a lot. 2020 stole, I think 2020 stole a title from the Bucks too. How well they were playing before that break. Oof. The bubble was not good to the Bucks. No, it wasn't. Stole, stole a championship. And you could say this. I mean, you could honestly probably maybe, maybe say the same thing about the Packers. Not having a full stadium in the NFC Championship game that year. Well, my biggest thing here with the Brewers, it's I don't want to be a middling team anymore. We've we've I don't know. track there. We've been a middling team. You know what I mean? Like we've seen if you've been around long enough, you saw like the late seventies and the eighties where the Brewers overall played pretty darn good baseball. Obviously the, we always talk about eighty two. They went to the World Series then. They were competitive then. They had Hall of Famers. You look at some of those years, if they had the same rules like they do in today's baseball with number of teams and the wild cards, like that team makes the playoffs way more than it actually did. Yeah. And it was playing in a tougher division. There was only two of them. The team was better than what on paper it says they were for playoff appearances and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, then we saw the 90s. Terrible. We saw the early 2000s, you know, mid-2000s, not good. And then all of a sudden, it's like Prince Fielder, Ryan Braun, they all arrived like, what, 2005 to 2007. And then you saw the CC Sabathia trade. And there are some people, oh, we shouldn't have done the CC trade. Uh, Michael Brantley's a multiple-time All-Star. That was the first time you got to the playoffs in like 20 years. CC put them on their back. I would do that in a heartbeat again. Yeah. Easily. And you're going to tell me you wish you never saw that. That might have been the greatest two to three months in in a season from any pitcher with how well he dominated. Taking the ball every three days. It was electric. It was electric. It was nothing like it. And we knew as Milwaukee Brewer fans, the odds of signing him were about zero. So you knew that you were going to use him and abuse him and, and ride him as far as he could take you. And it was pretty fun to watch. It was right up until the end, right up until. The end. And you, and then if you remember that year, Giovanni Gallardo had gotten hurt, right? And then Sheets gets hurt, and so by the end of that year, it was just Giovanni Gallardo came back in the playoffs. I believe. I believe he started against Philly. And remember, with those two being down, remember who the back end of those rotations were. It was still Jeff Supon. And you had a 50-50 split of Dave Bush and Seth McClung. Because was it Dave Bush? I can't remember if he was really good at home and really crappy on the road or if that was reversed. But but whatever the the trend was, Bush would pitch where he had his strength. And then they'd be like, ah, McClung, you throw hard. Get out there. Yeah, no, it was. But CC was electric and he had to be because they didn't have anybody, they didn't have anybody else. But it was electric because it was still that young core coming up and and all coming together. And then you had like your early 2010s where you you were competitive because NLCS. Braun was coming of age, Fielder was coming of the core you mentioned, Corey Hart, Ricky Weeks, all that core became veteran players and were good. And then you added like the Zach Grinkies of the world, the Sean Markhams of the oh, world. Nice. Yeah. You added those guys to your team that you needed. Niger Morgan was a great veteran oddball leader, but that team was good. Unfortunately, it ran into David Freese, or it might have won a World Series. Who knows? And you can go on. I but, mean, Jeff Supon was pitching, so probably not. Yeah, that's disgusting. 
<laughs> but what I'm getting at is it was good, and it was it was pretty darn good from 2007 till 2013. And then obviously you had the Braun issues, and you kind of fell back. But then you got this new core of guys outside of Braun, and it seemed like there was something there. 2018, one game away from the World Series. 2019, you had Hater couldn't throw strikes, and then a big blemish from a Grisham in the outfield. Well, and if Yelich and Yelich gets hurt, and, and exactly Yelich hurts his knee, and he was better in 19 than he was in 18. Cody Bellinger stole the ring right off his finger. <laughs> but that's how it was. 2020, no, you, everyone can use an excuse. But since 2020, haven't been able to get all, you know, all on the same page. Offense is either really good or the pitching is really, really good. And since 2021, it's been the pitching. And I think as Brewer fans, we've found that we would prefer really good pitching because it keeps you competitive, even if you're only going to win 86 games than the guys that are going to go out there and mash home runs because those teams won like 75 games. I mean, you think back to the 2021 All-Star game, they had four pitchers in the All-Star game. <laughs> Burns, Hayter, Peralta, and Woodruff were all in the All-Star game. And Omar, Narv- and Omar Narvaez was, was as well. Last year, it was all pitchers. Burns, Hayter, Williams. This year, it's just Williams. So where I'm going with this is I don't know if I necessarily sell this year like at the deadline, but I think in my mind, you you have to do one of two things. This is what I came to the realization because of this pitching staff. Freddie Peralta is under contract for the foreseeable future. I know a lot of people like Aaron Ashby and he's shown some flashes. Unfortunately, won't be back until September this year. He's under contract for a while. You have some of these kind of middling pitchers like the, you know, Jason Alexander's and and some of those guys that we've seen as as more um, he's old depth yeah. more depth pieces they all could be around for super cheap and if someone like that has to be like your fifth guy in your rotation it's not the worst rotation especially if you can find some pieces in the bullpen and you have Woody and Burns and Peralta and all those guys reach to back to the, where they were so. I, I don't think I sell 100% right now, but I think I have a fire sale in the winter. And because right now you're still in that pocket with all those guys where it's like, hey, Adamas can get hot. Hey, Teles can get hot. Yada, yada, yada. But what I came to the realization was, is in my mind, and this is on paper, so it never actually works like you think it will in real life. They need to sign both Woodruff and Burns, or get rid of both of them. If you keep one, you will be just good enough to continue to win about 80 games. You will never you will never bottom out. And I actually said this a couple weeks ago. I actually think losing Craig Council might be the best thing for this team. For Because if he's as good as, as they say he is, and you get a, a middle-of-the-road manager, it's going to show you that this team doesn't spend money, this team is cheap, this team's roster is really not that good. Craig Council just got everything he could about. But if he isn't as good as people think and you got a good manager, then that just showed that actually maybe the Brewers can do something. Uh, but I kind of fall in the, the first group where we're going to fall off, even if I disagree with some of the pitching changes. What's the point of falling of, of being bad in baseball? Getting better. But like, what's the point Acqu- of that? Acquiring cash acquiring draft picks, acquiring uh, the international signing pool stuff, and selling off. I'll, I'll give you an example. 
Do you remember when the Houston Astros were really good in the NL Central with Roger Clemens, Andrew Pettit, or Andy Pettit, um, uh, Roy Oswalt, Brad Lidge, yeah. Lance Berkman, Carlos Lee? They were good. And then from about 2008 to 2011, they kind of had this, uh, we're kind of getting older. All these guys are really old. We should probably try to unload them. And by 2011, they unloaded everyone. You can go back and look. They were dog crap for like four years where they won like 55 games, 56 games, 50 games. And then they started to get some of those. Like they, they got Carlos Correa. They drafted Alex Bregman. They internationally signed Jose Altuve. Like you still have to be good at what you do, but they started putting a team together. And all of a sudden, after four years of completely sucking and selling off, these guys start hitting the big leagues, start to win a little bit. Then you add a piece here and there, not spending a ton of money, but a piece here and there. Look at what they've done. The last six years, they've been in four World Series, but they had to go through the suck to potentially be good. But you have to actually be. And then the other thing is the back end of those, you know, six years, they threw money at, you know, Garrett Cole. They threw money at Justin Verlander. The Brewers will never do that because they're scared to actually be great. Well, they'll never do it because. And they're cheap. Houston's the third biggest city in this in this country. I understand that. But look okay. at what how about this? For a closer example, look at what the Royals did. Yeah. Royals had a core of young got Mustakis, Lorenzo Kane. Not all of that was homegrown. Obviously, Lorenzo Kane was a brewer uh, prospect. Um oh, it was the outfielder. He just retired. Alex Gordon. Like you can go Salvi Perez. You can go right on down. That was a team that for the most part it was homegrown or it was acquired prospects. Based off of selling? Brewer shortstop. Who is it? LCD's Escobar. Escobar. All those guys, they were a core that were young, and they were signed to roughly the same thing. It's kind of like what the Braves did. They were they went to back-to-back World Series 1-1. So you ha- it's you ha- possible. Like, you have to hit on those, obviously, right? Correct. You can't just be... A- but the more you suck, the better chances are of hitting. The more you suck, the better chances of hitting. Correct. But, like, this isn't NFL. This isn't NBA where you turn it around with one player. Exactly. That's why you need a court. That's why you have to suck for years. Get a quarterback, right? I'm willing to suck for four to five years if you tell me that we could potentially have a five, four to six year window. So you'd suck for four to five years. What was the window in 2018, 2019? I would say that window in theory would have been 2018 to 2023. And you'd you'd take that window if they had. And let me say this a window of being competitive. I think the Brewers, titles. the Brewers only had two legitimate years where I think they could have won the title. 18 and 21? 20, 21, yep. I think they were good. They were competitive. They were playoff teams. But I actually, I, they weren't going to win the World Series. Like 2019, they were good. They were solid. They couldn't win the World Series that year. Again, it's, they're different sports, right? But I, I know you were talking off off the air about this. Which would you rather have the was it the Giants that you said? Yeah. From twenty from two thousand to now winning two titles, but also having some And playing in three Super Bowls. But they've had some very up and down years. Horrible years. Whereas the Packers have had very few horrible years in that twenty three years. One ring. And one ring. Which one would and you And only rather, one appearance. And what would you rather have is the question. And I don't know what your answer is to that. People go back and forth. I I feel what like What would your answer be? I'd probably want the rings. I'd want the I I'd want the, what the Packers had. It's two rings is, is two rings. It's obviously double what 
Aaron Rodgers they got, right? But all the moments around it, I think, made it worth it. Like not, I feel like that's not, a bad comparison with the Giants because they had some pretty big, memorable plays when they won too. Like, of course, as big as some of the Packer plays that were like mundane Thursday night games against Detroit. I don't know if that was mundane. I don't. It was a, a Thursday night game in Detroit. It wasn't a mundane play. No, but that game overall. But you need. It without, didn't mean without Jack. that win. I mean. At the end of it, no, because they didn't win a title, right? Like, if that's just how you base it on, if, if everything doesn't matter unless you win a title, then what the hell? Who cares what happened with CC Sabathia in three weeks or uh, th- because you know, two that's, months? Who gives a crap? They that, didn't win a title. That they, franchise who, who, had to take a step of we can actually make the postseason. Who gives a crap? They didn't win a title. It, it's almost like the they, because the Brewers were like the Lions. They were good in the 80s. The Lions were good in the 50s, and then they went forever, and they sniffed it like once in a while. They completed a 60-some-odd-yard Hail Mary <laughs> to win a game that they should not have won. It was part of a run into the playoffs that ended up going all the way to uh, the NFC Championship game. But I'm saying I would be willing to suck for four to five years and really suck to have a four- to six-year window where you can actually compete. The Astros... They've been to four World Series in six years. Now, they infused money into it. But look at the Royals. The Royals were competitive for a while. They had two big-time runs to the World Series back-to-back years. Like, I'm willing to hit rock bottom for the potential to win because we've been competitive and we've bet a middling team. I don't want to keep staying in the we're decent, but we know we're not going to win. And if you don't, if you sign Woodruff and or Burns, you're going to have a decent pitching staff. Freddie will be coming back. Ashby, uh, in theory, you could have Lauer, who's been sucking this year and is in AAA. But that core of players, in theory, you could have most of them back. But if you brought both of them back, signed them long term, your four for like the next five years would be Burns, it'd be Woody, it'd be Freddie, and it would be Ashby. And that's a pretty solid four. doesn't matter what you do with the rest of the guys. The next five years, that's a solid four. But I'm with you because we talked about this off air. Burns isn't coming back to Milwaukee. And I, if I was Corbin Burns, would not want to come back to Milwaukee. Absolutely not. And if they can't do that, then sell. And I'm not saying sell now because I still think if somehow the stars aligned, this is their last year in this in this window before everyone is on the last year of their deal in 2024. But in this winter, this 2023 into 2024 winter, fire sale. Sell it all. Give the young guys like the Sal Freelix and everything room to run. Give them at bats. Suck. Because you're not going to have the pitching staff if you get rid of both of them to be competitive. They're, they're going to get rid of everything. Kansas City's window was two years. And, and and yes, they went to the the World Series. They won eighty nine games in twenty fourteen, ninety five in twenty fifteen. The most they've won since is eighty one. That happened the year before. They are dog crap, horrible. You know what's funny is, but they have a ring. Some some people would say it's because of their manager, Ned Yost. Oh, who oh, we're not blaming Matt, uh, Mike Matheny. I blame Ken Maka for everything bad that's ever happened in my life. Oh, okay. All right. Milwaukee Bucks quite active over this long weekend. They ended up re-signing Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton getting a three-year deal worth $102 million. So 
He did walk away, Zach, from his forty-plus million-dollar player option of of one year of security to sign roughly a thirty-four million-dollar per year three-year deal. Then the Milwaukee Bucks turned around. What was it like a day later? And they signed Brooke Lopez, the other guy that people were wondering what the heck was going to go on. They need to bring Lopez back. He got a two-year deal at roughly $23.5 million per year. And then, just just for fun, the Milwaukee Bucks did sign a couple of players here in the last couple of days. Malik Beasley was one that they signed. And then Brooks' twin brother, Robin Lopez. So those were the four moves that the Milwaukee Bucks have made roster-wise here over the last few days. What are you thinking about the Milwaukee Bucks? Because I almost feel like we can talk about the Milwaukee Bucks the same way we just talked about the Milwaukee Brewers and the Green Bay Packers. Are you all right with being competitive, or are you actually trying to win a championship? Really? Yeah. I think they're trying to win a championship. Really? If with they, Chris Misselton? <laughs> if they if they were not trying to win a championship, they would have let they would not have overpaid for Brooke Lopez. And they paid they were paid for Brooke Lopez because he was gonna leave. He was gonna go to Houston. Houston was gonna ha, drove up the price on him. And it probably hurt them trying to sign another mid level uh free agent. Their their starting their starting unit, I think, is as good as anything in the NBA. It's whether their depth can hold up. And well they've they've been deep. They've been deep since what was it, twenty nineteen, twenty twenty? Like they've been deep. Now, obviously, the roster has more been tailored to Giannis with shooters around him better post twenty twenty. Obviously, what was it twenty eighteen, nineteen, and nineteen twenty? Uh, not necessarily. The Eric Bledsoe's don't cut it in the playoffs. No, the short guard that can't shoot doesn't cut it. See, but Drew Holiday was there in twenty twenty. But what I'm getting at is like they've better surrounded Giannis since 2020 on with the shooters and the role players needed because those first couple years where they were coming Excuse up, me. he was not around. That's my, I favorite. was going to say that seemed a little early. No, 21, 21 was the first yeah. year. 2020, 2021, but same thing. Those first few years where the bucks were competitive, Giannis didn't have the people in the depth around him with the skill sets that, you know, suit Giannis or that pair well with Giannis. The last few years they have had it. Now you can say the bubble threw a wrench into things, but it did for pretty much everyone. The Bucks were a bunch of wussies and decided they didn't want to play in the bubble and then they were all me. So that's kinda on the Bucks. What are you what are you what are you doing? No, they they didn't want to play. They clearly wanted to play, but they wanted And then they didn't show up. They did show up. They played every game. They got spanked by the Heat. Jimmy Butler Oh you mean actually actually oh actually in the yes. Uh, the, the actual games themselves. They they didn't they look, they showed up to the bubble, but they they, they an, didn't show up to the bubble. They had an opportunity to. They got pumped by they, Miami. They had an opportunity to challenge the Warriors for the best record of all time until the until COVID. I I'm not disagreeing. The bubble was awful for the Bucks, but they didn't show up in the bubble. No, they didn't. And I, look, they the, their first game against Philly, right? I think they they ran them out of the gym. And then it was like a whole. It was just a big cluster. The rest, almost the rest of the time, they they struggled with Orlando in the first round, and then yeah, Miami. I mean, Giannis obviously uh, getting hurt didn't help, but it was uh, it was kind of like this past year. M- Miami, eh, I'm not gonna say that. Kind of got lucky. Uh, 
I don't think yeah, it would have mattered in 2020. This year, it might have mattered. Well, let's let's move forward then. 2021, they win the whole thing. 2022, unfortunate that Chris Middleton goes down with injury, and that was one of your big key pieces, and you played a little bit of shorthanded, and the Celtics were damn good. 11 games without him to close the postseason. So that was unfortunate. You can't do anything about it. 2022, you had a lot of injuries early. A, where you had like role players, like Joe Ingles was hurt. You had. Oh, 2020 and 23? Yeah, into 2023. Joe Ingles was hurt. And, you know, s- small little things like this. They couldn't figure out where to play Jay, uh, Jay Crawford once they. Tra- Crowder. Not, Crowder, not Crawford. Uh, but yeah, they couldn't figure out where to play Crowder. All, all this little small thing. But Middleton was hurt again. You just signed this guy to a three year deal. He hasn't been available the last two years. I'm not I'm out on Chris Middleton. I didn't I don't but this is the other thing. I don't know. Like I can look at the NFL salary cap and do pretty well. Baseball's pretty easy. Just spend money. There is no salary cap. Right. But I get the NFL one and there's a few things that are different, you know, where you can do the franchise tag and the non-exclusive franchise. Oh, that's that's not hard though. NBA this is like reading Mandarin. I had no idea. It's like, well, this guy's bird right eligible, and this guy has an exclusive tag, and uh, they can they can exceed the salary luxury just to go over to sign this guy. We call that uh, turkey rights. <laughs> like it's like what I'm looking and seeing that the Bucks are fifty million dollars over the cap, and they're like, well, they can still go over this to sign Middleton because he's their guy. I don't get it. I, I understand the bird rights thing. The bird rights allow you... But to, that's just one piece. There's like a right. hundred things. But when you're talking about Chris Middleton and you're talking about Brooke Lopez, when they have bird rights, it means they can go over the salary cap uh, to sign those guys. Like, it, they couldn't sign a free agent that way, but they exactly. can sign their own guy that way. Because the, the NBA has a soft cap, whereas the NFL and everything... and uh, so Oh, it's soft, all right. It, the NFL has a hard cap. But we've also seen teams get around that, too, right? But, the, like, the, here's the thing with Middleton. Did it really save them money? Because in theory, because of these different stipulations with contracts, I don't know. I don't I don't know for a matter of fact to say, well, we could take that $43 million and actually go give it to a Damian Lillard. I don't think it actually works like that because of like you the couldn't. bird rights with Middleton. You couldn't. That's why it's so much more confusing than a hard NFL salary cap because it's like, well, if we didn't sign Chris Middleton, even though we're going to pay him a lot more, we actually couldn't afford another guy because we actually don't have the money. We're only eligible to pay him that money because of this loophole in the NBA. It's not even a loophole. It's just just what it is. Uh, whereas, like, in the NFL, it's not that way. But, like, so it's like, on in reality, if this was the NFL, I'm out on Chris Middleton. Yeah. Dude isn't getting $34 million from me and be 35 years old at the end of this contract after he's just coming off two years of being injured. There's no way, but if you can't spend the actual $43 million or whatever you, you had f- per year to go out and spend on another guy, well, then it's like, well, yeah, you kind of got to bring back Middleton and hope he, he gets healthy and plays like he did two years ago because guess what? The middling player that we're going to bring in for $10 million, he's not even as close to what Chris Middleton would be if he actually was healthy. Yeah, The interesting thing about Middleton is he actually played pretty well in the playoffs this year, and again, it was only five games. But without Giannis, he averaged 23 a game. He shot 40% from three. He was very bad from three during the regular season, but he only played in 30 games, 33 games. If that's the Chris Middleton you can get on a more regular basis, 
I'm not expecting him to shoot 40% for three all the time, but if he's going to shoot in the mid-30s, mid to high 30s, and you're going to get 20-something a game from him, that's that's where it is. Now, what can he be defensively, I think, is even a bigger question. He's, he's been a liability. He, but he, he used to be he good. He wasn't in 2021. But maybe well, he as used he to, gets even older, before that, like before, like, like I'm talking about as recent as 2021. I'm saying he like was not when the Bucks were trying to contend. When we were talking about kind of that three year period where the Bucks were good, but they they were taking steps to be good. It was like the Bledsoe teams, and they didn't necessarily have the right roster around Giannis. Chris Middleton was like a lockdown defender. He's a, he was a solid. Defender. Yeah. yeah, and then it was like, hey, LeBron recognized me. I'm an all-star now. I'm a number two. I don't have to play defense. No, I don't think that was ever how I don't. I personally don't think that's how it ever was. Because you look at I mean, he obviously had to step up in the 21 playoffs when Giannis went down. And he was remarkable in a, in a lot of games, especially against Atlanta. As he gets older, he's not the same type of defender. And this, I mean, I think the same thing is going to go for Drew Holiday as well as he gets older. Like Drew Holiday, to be the worth the money that he's getting has to be a lockdown defender because we've seen him kind of come up small in the playoffs offensively more often than not. That's how you get the nickname Chris Misselton. And then there's, there's Brooke Lopez who you give that much money to do a 35 year old, but he's coming off one of his best seasons in which he was the runner up for defensive player of the year. He was fantastic on that end of the court and he shot the ball for, you know, really well from three and 38%. Talking some Milwaukee Bucks and their roster moves here in the last few days. A uh, short segment here. But, Zach, I just feel like with these moves, again, I don't know exactly how all the cap stuff works in the NBA because it is kind of a con- confusing soft cap with being able to go over for bird rights and yada, yada, yada. But just on the surface... It looks like they're trying to keep the band together for two to three more years and saying we're going to be pretty good, but I don't feel like this team is right now because we don't know what Chris Middleton is and all we've seen him be is injured. If Chris Middleton can be can be what he was two years ago, maybe I think if the stars align, this team can win. But I think you got to finish uh, figure out the depth. And I also think it's going to be a team where don't expect them to win 60 games because they don't have the depth where they can just play, you know, guys 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 on the roster and win against decent teams. So I feel like it would be A, Chris Middleton has to get healthy to be legitimate. B, figuring out the rest of the pieces around to complete this puzzle with not a ton of money. And C, don't expect them to be a 60-win Type team, it might be closer to a fifty-win team because of lack of depth. I mean, you're looking at who who have you lost depth-wise? You've lost Joe Ingles, you've lost Javon Carter, you've lost, and Javon Carter was pretty darn good. Wesley Matthews, I mean, Wesley Matthews still out there. Technically, Goran Dragic, yep, could be resigned. I mean, look at the bench right now. It'd be Malik Beasley, be Pat Connaughton. We'll see whether their draft picks make it. Uh, Andre Jackson Jr. in the backcourt. And then the Fords, can you get a jump from Marjan Beauchamp? Beauchamp, right? And Jay Crowder, a little bit more comfortable. Mike Budenholzer's no longer around to keep him on the bench. Uh, you know, what kind of role does he find? Bobby Portis, obviously. And then uh, Chris Livingston, if he makes the team. That's what your depth is looking at right now. And obviously Robin Lopez and, and probably Thanasis. Um because, because, yeah, because Giannis. By the way, I'll leave you with this since we got to go to break. 
We have a Lopez twin. We have a Giannis brother. Does Chris Middleton have a brother? I don't think so. We need to get on the Holiday Brothers. The Holiday Brothers. Because there yes. are two of them. We Justin. need to find at least one. I feel like Justin may have... Uh, <laughs> there's, there, there are two. There's two. There? Aaron, I think it's Aaron, 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 and, Aaron Holiday yeah. and Justin Holiday. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get at least one. He can, he can help round out the end of the brother bench. Brothers, whether it's the Bucks or the Badgers, they love them. <laughs> Man. It's like, instantly when I saw that, I'm like, they need to go find that other Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Who else has a brother? Right. The B, I, B, Lake Beasley feels like he's got a brother somewhere. Yeah, he. It's probably um, Michael. Yeah, right. <laughs> he was a buck once. He was. Now he's huge in China. A legendary buck, I think, is what you would call him. Michael and Malik. I could see it. Yeah. The Wisconsin Badgers, 2024 class continues to get stronger, especially after a, a really strong start to the class by adding a four-star cornerback out of Pennsylvania. Emilio Agard, who announced his decision on Saturday, <laughs> did it Saturday night. Did, I chuckled so hard at this. It one. was it was uh it was live. For anybody that didn't see it, he put up these four hats or five hats uh, on the table. None of them were Wisconsin hats. Everyone knew he was going to Wisconsin like it was a very poorly kept secret he was going to Wisconsin. But yeah, the, the, there were none of the Wisconsin hats were up there and then all of a sudden jump around starts playing. And out of nowhere comes uh, a version of Bucky Badger, and uh, he slaps the hats off the table and hands uh, Agard a Wisconsin hat. It was honestly, it was a, it was an interesting. Uh, I, I I thought I thought honestly, it was I thought it was pretty cool what he did with the hats because it was like Clemson. It was some of the big boys that yes. are out there, and all and of he a had sudden, offers from all. Yeah, and, all of a sudden he gets out there and. Yeah, jump around comes on. Bucky comes out like you described, and I'm thinking, oh, this is kind of funny. Like this is, this is an interesting way to announce where you're going. But then it kept going, and it was I a celebration. I rolled my eyes pretty hard. I, if it would have just been like, hey, Wisconsin, jump around, Bucky, and then it's kind of like hug mom and dad, and you know, talk. Maybe Coach Fickle is there. Whatever it would be, kind of like that's it. Uh, it went a little far after that. It's a big moment in the kid's life. It's one of the biggest moments of his life. And then I thought, man, they got confetti coming down. They had, you know, people crying and and I think there was music in the background if I remember. But then they had the the big throne and he's sitting on the on this huge throne and all badger stuff and he's like decked out as the king and I honestly I sat there and go am I we doing a, we we overdoing it a little bit so he's a four star I get it but come on so that is at Wisconsin like that was part of his official visit they have this throne down in the in Camp Randall or the bowels of Camp Randall that they all all the kids get to go to sit on and they get to do their little photo shoot there and. It's part of the experience. It's part of the experience. Every single kid that's come through here has been on that throne, like in the last year and a half. It's not the throne's not new to this staff. It's just probably the first time you've seen it. Yeah, it is the first time I've seen yeah. it because I, I usually don't use those pictures. Like if you're like find trying to find a picture to put up on their on their story, I'm not usually taking that one. Are you a throne guy or are you more of a Brian Kelly? Let's make some almost like MTV music video. <laughs> it's uncomfortable so, either so way. Out of place. It, but you know what? 
it was it's like the thing that goes around you, right? Like the the camera that <laughs> right that was Brian Kelly. Greg Gard did the same thing. <laughs> Greg Gard and uh, the uh, Greg Gard did the same thing at the at Miller Park at uh, American Family Field last year, where they were trying to promote the game against Stanford, and he yeah he looks so uncomfortable. It's just not, <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not who he is. It's not what they're about. But it is look if a kid wants to have fun. If it's fun for him, if it's something that excites them to come to Wisconsin and it's part of the whole thing, then who cares what 28-year-old or 29-year-old uh, Nelson Racebeck has to say about it? <laughs> Here's my thing. If it gets more four- and five-star kids here, so be it. I'll yeah. roll my eyes every single time going, really? Yeah. Really? Right. But if it gets them there, I guess. Yeah, no. So he was. It's, it was a big win for Wisconsin. He is a really talented kid. He's the second-highest-rated cornerback they've ever uh, so, or well, if he ends up signing, it'll be the second highest one they've ever gotten. Uh, four-star corners are not something that Wisconsin has routinely gotten. It's, it's probably been one of their biggest things. Like if if you talk about the biggest difference between Ohio State and Wisconsin over the years, it's been wide receiver and it's been defensive back. Like those so, are the, those are the two spots that they've been just so at the opposite ends of of things. I was talking to a guy that that gets pretty big into college football, but he's not a he's not a Badger fan. He's not a Big Ten guy. And he kind of chuckled and said, man, you guys are recruiting all of these corners, all of these D-backs. Don't you know that you play in the Big Ten and that's where it's rough and tough and physical. You want the big, you know, O and D lines, the linebackers, tight ends, blah, blah, blah. And my retort to him was, look at the three teams that they're trying to catch. Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. Two out of those three teams? They play with a lot of wide receivers and a lot of speed. I mean, all all three of them do, but Michigan's more of a ground and pound, but they're more talented. The thing about what the thing about what Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State, for that matter, do they do play that way, but they also play tough in the trenches. And I don't think Wisconsin's going away from that. I don't think so either. Right? Like they've got five offensive linemen in this class as well, and that was the other guy that they signed or they were able to get commitment from over the weekend was a four star recruit out of Minnesota, the top player in the state of Minnesota, Emerson Mandel. Uh, it gives them five four-star players in this class, including two offensive linemen. They didn't sign the ones that they wanted to in state, but they were able to go out out of state and get some really talented players, both in Emerson Mandel and Kevin Haywood from Pennsylvania, both four-star recruits. And who cares where they come from as long as they're they're four-star recruits and they're good players, according to some. I've been saying I, this, me, Zach. I, I, Wisconsin? Last year, what, there was like three kids that were uh, Division One scholarship from the state? From the state that were like legitimate D1 talents. I think three ended up, only one in the Big Ten. And this year it's like roughly a dozen. It's close, yeah, 10 or 11. So I get it, the state's better, but also every given year, if I had the choice, and this is coming from a guy that is from Wisconsin that played high school football in Wisconsin, if given the choice and I've got to build a program, I'm going to take guys from Pennsylvania and Ohio before I take guys from Wisconsin. And that's not dissing the fact that Wisconsin's having a good turnout this year for D, uh, Division One players. It's just saying historically, those states have been better. Historically, yes. And we've had this conversation on the camp a bunch. It's awesome. It doesn't matter where you get the players from on a on an individual year basis this year, 2024, you have a really good recruiter in Colin Hitchler who's their safeties coach who is from Philadelphia has a lot of good connections there and it's, and it's helped out. Guess what? He may go somewhere else next year. He may be in a different school next year. 
You know what's not moving? The state of Wisconsin. The state of uh, Camp Randall's not moving. It's always. And I don't gonna, think Luke Fickle's going anywhere in in the next couple of years. It's always been in Wisconsin. It's never going to leave Wisconsin. It's always going to be here. And so it, it kind of makes sense to recruit the area that you're going to be in. And when there's as much talent as there is in the state, you wanted to take it. Now, that being said, how many of the guys that are from this state that ended up elsewhere were actually recruited by Wisconsin and given offers? Nathan Roy, the top player in the state. Garrett Sexton and Rob Booker and Rob Booker obviously changed his commitment, but the other guys, Donovan Harbor, Corey Smith didn't have Wisconsin offers. They ended up at Penn state. Um, See, that was, that one was weird to me when you're going down kind of the list of kids from in state and where they were going, Penn state nabbed a lot of them again. Yes. But in most years you would trade that flip flop. You would say, okay, Penn state, Take some of our kids from our state. We'll go in and take some from Pennsylvania because, like we said, most most years, Pennsylvania is a lot better. I think, yes. I think you'll take the, the Donovan Harbor for Kevin Haywood in a second. I don't think Donovan Harbor is nearly as good as people make him out to be. He's a four-star recruit. He's higher rated than Kevin Haywood, but he's not. I don't think he's that type of player. Corey Smith is a really good player, really good running back in Wisconsin, still trying in the mix for uh, guys outside the state. But – on a year-to-year basis, Wisconsin has to keep the best players in state. If you if they want those kids, they need to keep them in state. It doesn't matter. Like that's how my we've had this discussion. We've had this discussion, me and you, you and I, outside of this space, but like in passing in the halls or in your office, blah blah blah. I give Fickle a pass in his first legitimate year recruiting. Yeah, like we saw what he did in about a month or two last year where he somehow found a way to throw a recruiting class together. Cause it was going to be a terrible one. And he found ways to find transfers, found ways to, you know, get last second signings. That was an awesome job. Job well done for Luke fickle at the end of last year comes in this year. And you were talking about it now, five, four star players. They're ranked 26th in the country and hoping to nail a, a few more four four star players down. And you look at it and it's like, well, this is a guy that came from Ohio. This is a guy that had, you know, roots in Ohio, Pennsylvania, kind of like the Tennessee, Florida. But it wasn't necessarily the exact same blueprint that Wisconsin or some of the past Wisconsin coaches had been recruiting from. So it was going to be a little different because of even his assistant coaches, like you mentioned, having in roots in, in Philadelphia or Pennsylvania. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think if if Luke Fickle can come in, they recruit the players that he recruits because it's a you know like a normality thing. It's normal for him to be there recruiting these kids. Maybe not as normal going around to all of the high schools in in Wisconsin, but they're doing it. I think you see one or two years of them maybe going out and doing this not in state, and then starting to get the kids in state because they'll see the success. Success breeds wanting to go places. People did, just didn't all of a sudden started to want to go to Alabama because Alabama was some, you know, great school for forever. Bear Bryant built the program, then everyone wanted to go to Alabama. Same thing with Fickle. It might be a little different cuz he's not your prototypical Wisconsin guy. So all the initial Wisconsin guys might say, "Well, I don't know, he doesn't feel like Paul Christ or he didn't feel like Brett Bielema or Barry Alvarez." Well, in 2 years if they if they go 9 and you know, nine and three, ten and two, or better. 
People are going to want to go. It's in state. It's their home team, it, and they're winning. Right. You can make a lot, as you said. Is it fair to judge them on this class? The twenty twenty four probably not in state. Right? I I even think maybe next year I'll be depending on what it looks like fifty fifty because isn't next year's class in Wisconsin like. 12 to 15 legitimate Division One type kids as well. There are four four-star kids in the class already, and there's probably going to be even some more. They've offered a bunch of them. They've offered at least six of these guys. Oh, they've offered five, six in-state players already for that class. And that's is that more than last or like this current year? Well, I mean, yeah. Because, because they, you were talking about how they didn't, offer, they didn't hardly offer some of these guys. So they offered Nathan Roy. They offered Rob Booker. They offered... Uh, Landon Galthier, they've offered Derek Jensen. They offered, uh, I think it was maybe one more guy. Um, that's just escaping. No, those are those well, are the regardless. Guys, those are the guys. Those are the guys that they've offered. If they're offering three times as or twice as many for this upcoming class, which is on paper supposed to be a little bit better than this really good class in 2024, I say we start to judge them then. Start to judge them on 2025 because if he offers six and he gets one. Well, there's a problem. Yeah. Again, I think it's going to be a tough class to nail down. The same thing. Like, it's going to be tough. The, the, I don't know if the talent has gotten better in Wisconsin. I think the evaluation tools have gotten better. I think people are getting more of an eye on guys. Like, there's no reason Joe Schobert should have been a walk-on somewhere. Like, his athletic ability, it just shouldn't have happened. Jack Sitchie, it shouldn't have happened. Like, those guys are NFL-type players. That was, But because they were at, they were in Wisconsin and that and you know 10 years ago it wasn't as evident as it is now that there are players in this state they're being evaluated better and there there's video out there being evaluated better and that's why you're getting teams like Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan coming in and Notre and, Dame and, and Notre Dame and taking players out of here and they've done that that was what i was going to ask you when we were kind of talking about the offensive line where you talk about Kevin Haywood and what would Kevin Haywood be if he was playing for insert random high school in, in Wisconsin. We'll just throw it like a McFarland. Would he be a four-star high, as highly rated as where he's at in Pennsylvania? Because it is perceived that Pennsylvania is a better football state. Does he get the, the rating? Or would he be an absolute massive stud where maybe he's a five-star if he was from Wisconsin? Because you would say just the average year, he would be completely tearing people apart because of the lack of competition. I feel like you could go either way with that. I mean, I think like 10 years ago, he probably would have been just a three-star guy, right? Like he's from Wisconsin. He's big guy. He's talented. Like he could move. These are some big boys. Six, seven, two, ninety. Yeah. He's 17. Yeah. I mean, Emerson Mandel, six, five, two, ninety-five. He's 17. Yeah. And how different is that from, even 10 years ago where guys were having to come in at like 260 pounds. Like David Edwards was a quarterback in high school and they moved him to tight end. And then they moved him to tackle as he continued to gain weight and get bigger and bigger. And then he goes and plays guard in the NFL. I think it was, I think it was our guy, Bill Nagy that was saying like he weighed like 250 in high school. Yeah. And, and so, then he's playing at like 320. Yeah. When he comes in here and they, but that, that's how it used to be always. Like, it, And that's why it was so rare for a guy to play early in his tenure at Wisconsin. It's like, yeah, he needs to come in. He needs to gain weight. needs to learn the technique. But he, you'd come in at like 270, and like a year and a half later, two years later, you're 320. Yeah, so we were talking a little bit of uh, some Wisconsin football. And I feel like we have to feel excited for what Luke Fickle has done in his first couple months where he kept that class together. That class wasn't good. 
Like if if he didn't add any of his players to that, whether it be through the transfer portal or just in general nabbing a few like four star recruits late, that class was horrible. It wasn't. It wasn't ideal. I mean, it wasn't a great class. Say it. It was horrible. I'm not going to say that, but because uh, you just you don't know. Like Paul Chris, for the most part, on paper, it was horrible. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. There was like but 10 you, people. But literally, the, the transfer portal changed everything. Like, the class itself has some... I, I like some of the kids in the class. There's no doubt about that. Like, even... Especially the kids that they were able to bring with them from uh, Cincinnati or that were committed to them at Cincinnati. Jones Tacona, a cornerback, and Amari Snow, a quarterback, are guys that they desperately needed here uh, in that cornerback room and just, I think, kind of changed the outlook in that room long term. So they needed them. But the transfer portal is what changed everything. The transport getting getting it Nick, was the it was the flashy wide receivers. It was no, you know what it was. It was the flashy quarterback. It was getting Nick both Nick Evers. The first him being that first commit changed like changed the whole complexion of what got. Oh, holy crap! They got they got a four star quarterback coming here, and then it was four star this and four star that. C.J. Williams, and Bryson Green, and C.J. Williams pads guy, and Tanner and Tanner Mordecai like. Getting these guys, it that the the excitement that is with Luke Fickle was the result of the transfer portal. I don't know how much of it was a result of, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna the say recruiting now now because they're all now, coming in this year. I'm gonna clump it together, and I know like in your recruiting profiles and whatever publications, they kind of do like here's your recruiting class. It's ranked thirtieth, but your uh, composite with the transfer portal is ranked twentieth. Like. Yeah, I throw it all in because they're all going to be here this upcoming year. I say for what he did, you know, snagging a few four stars late, convincing some of his Cincinnati guys to move to Wisconsin and then the transfer portal. Thumbs up for me from Luke Fickle. I don't think you can say anything but a thumbs up. Of course. And then 2024, I would say so far, thumbs up too. you're talking about nailing five four star recruits, a quarterback offensive line the top prospect out of minnesota sorry sorry he didn't get every single wisconsin recruit but so far i can't say thumbs down right now 2024 or a 2023 class thumbs up because of what he had to do in a pinch 2024 so far and how it's trending thumbs up can't argue with it now 2025 if you continue to lose the the wisconsin kids Yet the the pool of Wisconsin players is getting bigger. Question it. Twenty twenty six. You're a mid thumb. Are you? Yeah. A mid, you're a mid thumb. No, no. I'll just question that part of it. He okay. could still go and get great players from Pennsylvania, Ohio, Illinois. Insert whatever state you want. And and it's not like I'll be like thumbs down just because we didn't get Wisconsin kids. But I I think I would say by twenty twenty six I would probably start to scratch my head a little bit if the top kids in the state weren't at least looking and half of them committing to Wisconsin. The hardest thing about this right now is you have yet to play a game. And so kids are making decisions based on what he did at Cincinnati. And there was a ton of success there, but they want to, I'm, I'm guessing some of them wanted to know what it's going to look like at Wisconsin. Everything that we've done so far, everything that we've seen so far and everything that we've learned so far and heard about, about Luke fickle, nothing matters until you go and see it September 2nd, what it looks like September 2nd. And it could be the greatest thing in the world. And it could be a little bit of a struggle, 
But if it, that, that to me will determine what 2025 and 2026 look like. This is the most excited I have seen people about Badger football probably in my lifetime. And if I had to compare it to something, it, was prob- it would probably be to after the Orange Bowl where uh, Alex Hornibrook won the MVP of the Orange Bowl, then goes to the Manning camp and wins Manning camp. And well, he, then you and have the he offensive. He hit that golf cart. You remember yeah, that? It, it was t- so great. The, the wheel of the golf cart. He hit it. And weirdly enough, no one else could. Yeah. I still, we still never even heard of any of the other names that were at that camp. But I, I digress. All right, you had the you had the offensive line on Sports Illustrated talking about how they like Red Robin, top five, yum, top five team in the country. Yeah, what was it fifth to start in the polls? I think did it get as high as fourth? It was something. It was somewhere four to six. That was probably the most hype I remember. Uh, a, a team from Wisconsin ever until maybe this year, until the Luke Fickle era started. What's kind of messed up, though, is the fact that uh, this team is going to be like a, a fringe top 25 team to start the year. Low 20s, right? Probably. Yeah, I think so. I think on on paper, when you say, oh, they brought in Tanner Mordecai, they have, you know, Braylon Allen in the rushing attack that they do. Uh, returning and bringing in actually some pretty good offensive line pieces. You brought in a lot of receivers. The defense is relatively pretty good outside of losing Herbig and Benton and the secondary. Like I could see it being like a 24th ranked team. Yeah. So expectations for the actual team, eh. the expectations or the excitement around it at a, at a different level than what the expectations are for it. In my opinion. Like they, people are expecting it to be a good team, maybe go nine and three, ten and two, but it's not like it's the top five team that is going to challenge for a spot in the college football playoff and and make a run like they thought that twenty eighteen team was going to do. So I I remember when it, oof, the fickle hype might have been full mass last winter, and I remember we looked at the schedule because the schedule was kind of out, and I I was sitting there and I'm like. We are, it was kind of like what you just said. We, our expectations are getting so high. We're only going to be let down. And then you look at just this cupcake schedule. It's unfortunate that this wasn't like year three of, of Luke Fickle with this schedule. Cause it'd probably be like a 12 and O type season or an 11 and one. Well, it's reminiscent. I mean, it is kind of reminiscent of 2017. It is. And they went 12 and O. Yeah. And then they got beat by us. I don't, I don't envision them going 12 and O, but like this is, reminiscent of that. So I looked at the schedule and I go, yeah, it's cupcake, but you got to think like this is a first year. You got to work out the kinks. There's a lot of transfers that got to kind of gel. It might take some time. I go, I would still be extremely happy with a nine and three season. Then, you know, it's, it's after the bowl games. It's after the national championship. We're, we're kind of in the dead of winter and it's just the NFL. They released the, the season win totals. They have them at eight and a half with juice to the over. So they're thinking that they're probably going to win eight and three quarter games, AKA or nine. Yeah. And, and that's what Vegas has them pegged at. Yeah. And I think if we would have pulled people on the hype last December through February, I think 10, 11, 12 would have been the numbers that have won. Well, here's the whole, th- the, the whole thing about this is Wisconsin 2023 was always going to be the year that they had a chance to make another run because the year of the Badger. No, it was it was going to be like 2017 because they had a whole bunch of upperclassmen 
talented upperclassmen coming together in, in 2023, and it was going to be the year that they would be able to make another run to the Big Ten title game. A lot of that talent is still here. Some of it's gone, and most people expected that quarterback to be Graham Mertz. It never obviously uh, happened. And he's Who would you rather have Florida. to win one game in their prime? Joel Stave. He wasn't going to be part of the question, Zach. Well, he is the all-time winningest quarterback, so that's what the I want question to was going to be: Alex Hornibrook or Graham Mertz to win one game. Who, 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 who are you taking? Pl- who are they playing? Does it matter at this point? It does. If they're playing Northwestern, Ohio I'm- State. Oh well, Alex Hornibrook. I think I'd choose him too, and pre- that scares pre- the hell out of me. Concussion. <laughs> 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 I was gonna say something yeah. pre 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 pub pre pre pub <laughs> pre concussion pre 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 pub yeah uh, <laughs> I, yeah somehow I was trying to drop another p in there yeah. PPP Alex Hornibrook I guess I would take <sighs> I think I would too honestly I think I would too I can only I'll, think of two good Graham Mertz games two that stick out to me give uh, give me Quintez Cephas. And I probably would take Graham Mertz because Quintess Evis can make any quarterback look good. So he made he made Jack Cohn look good. I like, but off the top of my head, in Hornibrook's career, I can sit there and remember more than two games where it's like, damn, he played good. Like you can you could talk about the Miami game, you can talk about the Iowa game where he led them for a comeback. BYU. You can talk about Michigan State as a freshman where he came out of nowhere, and it's not like his stats were great, but you're like, man, this kid showed some flashes. You remember that. Graham Mertz is Illinois, Michigan, and then it's like... Northwestern last year. Nothing else. Northwestern last year. Well, it wasn't Nebraska. He actually was pretty good. (laughs) Like, for the first eight games of the year, he actually played pretty well. If you go back and look, he actually was not the problem for them losing games. Well, I'm not saying he was the problem, and because Graham Mertz didn't, you know, reach his four to five star caliber type, you know, play is why they weren't good. But I'm saying overall, maybe we just got our our excitement and our expectations up, especially after that Illinois game. Yeah, I mean, the, the Illinois game was the worst thing that ever happened. He had the most hype of any quarterback ever to come in here, and then and he then goes and throws game. five touchdowns and one incompletion in one in the first game. And if I remember correctly, the one incompletion probably drop. should have been caught by the fullback. It was like a swing pass. Garrett Groshek dropped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that that was, yes. COVID did no, as is the case, COVID did him no I, favors. I will say I did love Graham Mertz, especially after Illinois and then the Michigan game, because I actually made a bet with one of your buddies. And, you know, he maybe he can't see very well. And he didn't realize that Graham Mertz was warming up and still claims that Matt LaPay said that Graham Mertz wasn't going to go, even though I don't know where Graham Mertz ever would have got hurt because he never got touched COVID. against Illinois. It was COVID because they, they – No, that, I think he that was – Michigan game was not the next week. No, I think he, he was saying it was like an injury or something. Yeah, yeah, but that Michigan game was not the next week after Illinois. I just remember saying, well, I remember – uh, well, I I should say, I don't remember. I am witnessing him warm up as they're Wit- talking about him. Witnessing. Yeah, we were sitting there. We had a little meeting. Mm. It was uh, the Thorsons and I, and then uh, a couple of uh, your buddy Thorson's buddies. I'm still waiting on my money from 2019. So, <laughs> you're, I mean, you're speaking, never speaking of that. bets, speaking of bets regarding Graham Mertz, I'm still waiting on, hey, I'm still waiting on that. Speaking of money, maybe since Grant now is, is in studio, maybe he can wiggle out $20 from Ben Kenny, who absconded away to Philadelphia without paying his debts. If I ever make it to Philly, I know whose door I'm knocking on. Well, I mean, they were best buddies. They did 
have a show together. He can't. He's not actually listening, though, is he? I don't think he's listening. He'd be looking at us right now. If normally, he was normally you can hear us in that studio. Maybe it's it's turned down though. Hey, Grant Bills, how you doing in there? Are you good? No, we want to we want to talk to you. I don't know how to work this. You're good. You're now. on. I You're can on hear now. you. I turned you up. We're not on air. We are, we are on, air. on air. We are wondering if you can oh, collect a debt for me because Ben Kenny left the state without paying his debt. <laughs> he owes me twenty dollars for Danny Willett. Finishing in the, in the top twenty of the Masters, like twenty twenty one, he's never paid it. You guys bet on the dumbest things. No, no, no. He was bad mouthing Danny Willett, and I took Danny Willett. And Danny Willett, God darn it, he came through. So you've been put on notice here. It is your responsibility you, you, to collect I, that debt from from to collect or just to pay. No, no. no. Well, if you want to pay it, you can. <laughs> yeah, it, we'll we'll say we can we, we can cross can, it off the ledger. Yeah, you can but, do it. But break out that twenty. I Venmoed Ben Kenny when he left. And I said, Danny Willett is the man, and you hugged me. <laughs> what did he you never, Venmo him he for? Never re- no, I Venmo a request. Oh. He never responded, and then he put it in limbo, and it was just sitting there, and it said, you can remind Ben Kenny to pay you. So I hit remind. I've never done that before, so I don't know if you get a notification. No one's ever reminded me to pay them. I normally pay people when pushy. I owe it. A little passive-aggressive, baby, from you to remind. But this is like two years in the making. Like instead of twenty with inf- inflation these days, he owes me like a hundred. <laughs> Wasn't this bet made like a couple, yeah, couple months couple ago? Couple years ago. No, oh, it was couple years, years ago. ago. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Inflation up the ass. I'm like owed like a hundred dollar bill. That, that, this is this ain't a twenty anymore. No, that's some BS. Yeah. So that's how that math works out. Do yeah. you have? Do you uh, have that any, is math. Do you have any help that you can can give in collecting his money? Yeah. I feel like I am in good standing with Ben Kenny. Okay. And when the Brewers play the Phillies at some point this summer, I want to be able to get him. It's actually next month. No, it's uh, later this month. Yeah, it's, it's, it's right actually after right after the break. We're breaking it down. It's uh, July how, 16th to the 20th. How You're the Brewers breaking are, it down? Well, no, how the Brewers are potentially getting, we'll know whether they're buyers or sellers by, what was it, July 18th? July 18th. They play nine games against the Reds before then. Okay. And then they also they also play the Phillies, and then they play the Braves. So by the break or by the trade deadline, they those are their games. Okay. They play nine against the Reds. They play six against the Braves. Play three against the Phillies. They have two more against the Cubs. And I think they play Washington at, right before the yeah, break. Two games before the break. All I'm saying, I'm right now the, the the deadline. I'm now a professional, very professional representative of the Bill Michaels show. Yeah. I need to maintain good bridges with as many guests and as many connections as possible. So I, I will, I could inquire maybe, but I, I make no promises. All right. Oh, you, you're hoping to get Ben Kenny on the show or you just need all his, his black. Well, no, well, no, Ben Kenny is one of those connections. If Brewers play the Phillies, we're naturally going to have to have him on oh, okay. to break it down. Ben Kenny from WIP. Yeah. Now, that's how we have to say that now. Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I texted him. This was two weeks ago, af, well after midnight, and he never used to answer past nine, and he was up. He was producing. Boy. I didn't really. I mean, WIP, that place is 24 hours. o'clock. Well, I mean, it's, we have to call him uh, Ben Kenny, WIP overnight producer. See, yeah, I won't do that. I will. I will, I will just say from <laughs> WIP. Because that you, you say it like that, it sounds like you're poking. I won't again, I won't poke. You I, know what? With how you say you're gonna talk to him, I think I could now recruit Zach to help me pick Ben Kenny up by his ankles and we'll shake him out for whatever falls out. <laughs> did you guys bet often? Is that something you did a lot? Dude, every time he put up like a proposed bet out there, 
I think I won every single one of them. The Danny Willett one was just the funniest where we did it on air. And, like, he was so, so serious about Danny Willett sucks at golf. Well, and I ben. go, well, Danny Willett plays really good at Augusta. And I go, he's won a green jacket. And then he basically gives the gold jacket, green jacket. He doesn't care. This guy sucks. And then he, like, shot really well one day. And I go, see, I mean, he's he's going to play. He's going to be well. And he, he's like, he won't even finish in the top 10, uh, top 20. He just kept going lower and lower. I'm like, all right, Danny Willett finished in the top 20. Easy. And then he finished, like, 15th. And I was like, let's go. It's not, though. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where is I'm it? looking for the $20 bit. Then he said he was going to take us to Hooters because mm. that was when Uber uh, Ebo was on a Hooters kick. And it's Ebo like, had a Hooters kick. I was like a second, <laughs> but it was like, it sounds like a, a you kick. This more is than a- a-